Well, we, as, as I said last week, uh, last week we was, was our last time in the Gospel of John for a while. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of John. We got to the end of uh, chapter 17, and that's where it finishes and breaks. The last section of, of the Gospel of John is about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of, of Jesus. We, we looked at that over Easter time. Uh, we will finish John off one day, God willing. But I wanted to, to, to break off and to do a, a series now. Uh, and the, the series is titled, Your Life, Church Life. Your Life, Church Life. And as uh, Brother Bola was saying, uh, that we, we're starting this new series on uh, the church. And I wanted to so just make a few uh, points of explanation of why we've done this, what, what, what we are wanting to achieve as we look into a, a new series on the church, but not just on the church, about you and the church and bringing your life and church life uh, together. We are in, or we're coming into what people are calling now the post-COVID period. We're making history. You know, there's going to be history books written about the COVID period. And, and there will be uh, the, the section, the post-COVID period, and it will explain how people got over the, the results of the lockdowns and the travel restrictions and all the challenges that we've been through. But as a church, we've been affected by COVID, haven't we? And over the last 18 months, uh, we've done things in church or as church that we've never had to do before. We've been worshipping online. We've been streaming our, our Sunday services. Uh, you've been worshipping with us but from your own homes, from your own dorms, gathered around a screen, watching. We've been worshipping together via Zoom. We've been praying virtually at prayer meetings. And so now we're coming into this post-COVID time. We're almost going to have to re-remember and rework out what doing church is. Uh, we still have friends who are meeting online with us right now, and we're still streaming the service because we're living in a time when some people have to self-isolate and, and stay away. And, and some people may even be fearful of, of coming together because of all the hype that's been put on and, and the fear that's been driven into our minds because of COVID. And, and there may even be some people who, who are still worshipping online at the moment, or maybe you do one Sunday in the building, one Sunday at home, just because it's become easier to worship online. And I know that in Cyprus, getting physically to a church building is difficult because of the transportation system. But before COVID, on a Sunday morning, we had this building filled with 180-odd people, and effort was being made to get here, and buses were running better. So I know there's, there's good reasons and challenges for people not being here, but we need to work out post-COVID what churches and what it should mean to us, how we should be doing church. But also, we've got new people. Just today, we've got four new people who have identified themselves, put their hands up to say that it's their first time with us. You are, you are very welcome. 
It's lovely to have you with us, and I know that there's people worshipping with us now today and worshipping with us in the evening who've only been with us for a few months, not very long, a few weeks even. And I think that when people first come to Left Kosher Protestant Church from their homeland, from their different situation there, they, they come here and they think, well, it's a bit different. Why, why are things done differently here? What, what's, what's, what's going on in church life at Left Kosher Protestant Church at LPC? And so for you, if, if you're new here, this will help you understand from God's words why we do certain things and why we don't do certain things. And then also as a church, as we're coming out of COVID, as we've got new people joining with us, as we've got people who have been here a long time with us, we, we want to move forward as a church. And as an eldership of the church, that's the, the, the pastors, the, 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 the leaders of the church, Pastor Phil, Pastor Andrew, and, and myself at the moment, we, we've really felt on our hearts that we want more of the members to be more involved with church life. And how do we do that? Well, we want to do that by giving everybody, but particularly those of you that have committed to this church, a better understanding of the privileges and the responsibilities of being part of a local church. So we've been reminded post-COVID how to get back into church. We're giving new people the opportunity to learn from God's word, why we do and don't things. And for all of us, Moving forward, we want to see what God's plan is for us as a church. What God wants us to do as a church. How does God want you to be involved in the church here? And this morning, what I want to to do from God's word is to ask two uh, main questions. Uh, And these two questions are going to establish what we're going to go on to say. And the first thing that I want to ask is, what is the church? What is the church? Because finding out what a church is and understanding that helps us to know where we fit into it. And I think there's a lot of of, of different ideas. If if I went out here into Cyprus and I asked people, local people, and said, what is the church? They would take me to a Greek Orthodox church building. Possibly in ruins, possibly not, possibly with a a cross at the top of it, possibly with a bell there. Uh, Often an old building made out of a yellow sandstone. And and the Turkish Cypriot people would say, that's a church. That's the church. And and maybe for some of you from where you've come from, the the church to you is is, is a building. It's a big cathedral-like building. And I know across the nation of Africa that there are many very, very impressive church buildings, some huge church buildings with huge capacity. And for many people, when you say the word church, what they think of is that building, is that temple, is that complex uh, there. And, and certainly in England, for a lot of people, if you said, what is the church? They would think of in the, in the center of the town, there would be an old church building that was probably made 200, 300, 400 years ago with a steeple and a tower made out of stone. And they'd say, that is the church. Well, that's a church building. It, it, it's not the church. 
For, for some people, they, they think that a church is a denomination. That the church is a, a, a denomination, and we have lots of different denominations, and you can see some of them here in Cyprus with, Cyprus with their branches and around the world and in your own context. And so if someone thinks of the church, they may think, well, it's, it's the Methodist, or it's the RCCG, or it's this, or it's that, or it's the other. But in reality, when we look into God's word, the word church means a set of people are being called out, an assembly. There's 118 references for the word church in, in the New Testament. They're found in 115 separate verses. We're not going to look at them all today at all. That would take us too long, but if you wanted to, you could look up that verse. And it's, the word means, the root word means an assembly of people. So the church is not a building. A church is not a denomination. As I speak about the church, what I'm speaking about from God's word is a body of people. A body of people that have been called out. A body of people that are assembled together. And just to help us in this we think of the global church, that's all Christians, all believers are the global church. And then here at LPC, what we have is an example of the local church. And so we are a group of local people to each other. We've been called out, we assemble together, and we are the church. So the church is the people. This building isn't the important part. It's a blessing. We, we like it. We're thankful for it. It's in a fairly good location near the bus stop. But this building is not the, the church. Those people that come together and assemble together, those people who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are the church. Now, we, we read this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And I would encourage you to have your Bibles open in Ephesians chapter 2 because we will be looking predominantly this morning at that passage there to give us an idea about church and what church is. Now, in this passage in Ephesians in chapter 2, it doesn't actually directly mention the word church. But we can clearly see what's going on here. We can clearly see from this uh, this passage, keep me a Bible. You can, we can clearly see from this, from this passage that Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. That's how he starts it off. And then in chapter 2, he goes on, and although he doesn't directly reference the word church, he is uh, describing and he is explaining uh, what the church is. And so as we concentrate on verses 19 to 22, we have the Apostle Paul giving the Ephesians and, and, and giving us three pictures to help us understand what a church is. And we see in verse 18 that a church is a state. Or it talks about here being fellow citizens, in verse 18. Fellow citizens. 
Now, we, we have to be careful here. I first of all just need to sort of really clarify what we mean by citizenship. All of you have traveled from overseas to this island, so you will all have a passport, yeah? Yeah, you've, you've, all, got a, you've all got a passport. And that passport tells you and tells the world where you are a citizen of. So I have uh, a passport, and my passport says that I'm a citizen of Great Britain. And, and some of you will have a, your passport, and it'll say that you're a citizen of Liberia, Nigeria, Cameroon, Sierra Leone, and, and the list goes on and on for all the, the different folks that are here. Y your citizenship is where you belong. Your citizenship is the country that you are part of. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to these people here, you've come into a new citizenship. So does that mean that the Nigerians and the Liberians and the Sierra Leoneans and the Cameroonians and the English and the Belgium, that we're no longer of those nations? No, we are. But what has happened to those that have become Christians, we've also become fellow citizens. And that's the picture language that's been used here. Now, it's been used in this way because citizenship is an identity, isn't it? You, you identify yourselves as your nationality. When you support football or sports or whatever, you, you identify with your nationality and there's an identity there and there's a sense of belonging, isn't there? And I know that one of the challenges that we have as a church here with lots of different nationalities, it's very easy for people to gravitate to their own nationalities. And so I think if we had a social experiment and we, we came here during the week and we had different favorite foods for the different nations, yes? So, so we had something that the, the Nigerians like particularly here and the Cameroonians over there and the Liberians there and the Sierra Leoneans there. What would happen? All the Nigerians would congregate there. Or maybe if we did it with music all the people would go to there because there's a sense of identity, a sense of belonging. But also on your passport, and I don't know if yours works like mine, but my passport has, has got a promise from the Queen of England on it. And, and the Queen of England promises to protect me. I, I don't know what she would do quite if I got in trouble. I got on the phone. Uh, Queenie, Queenie, can you come? I'm, I'm in a little bit of bother in Cyprus. Can you? But there, there is a sense of protection that there's a consular, that there's an ambassador. Uh, if, if some of you got yourself into trouble and, and you found yourself needing to be represented, the, the, the consular, your country, would represent you. In fact, in days gone by, there's been wars because of what's happened to people's citizens in foreign countries. There's a sense of protection. But there's also a sense of responsibility the other way around, isn't there? If you hear do something that's illegal and it's wrong, and you get caught, does that make your fellow citizens proud of you? Does that, does that, do, you, does that do your people any good? 
You see, there's a responsibility. We, we want as citizens to be responsible citizens. We don't want to bring our countries down. And so in some ways, as you're here in, in Cyprus, you are a representative of your country here. And you know what, when you go back to your homeland, and, and before you do that, you have a graduation ceremony, and at the graduation ceremony, there will be a, a, a Cypriot politician. They always come and give a speech. It always lasts too long, and they always go on and on. But there's always this line, and they always say this. They say, we, we've welcomed you in Cyprus. You've enjoyed your time in Cyprus. Now go and tell the world about Cyprus. They want you to be an ambassador for Cyprus. They want you to go and tell the world good things about Cyprus. And as a citizen of a country, you're an ambassador for that country. And, and so the, the, the young men that do Yahoo here, they, they bring down the status of their country and you all get tarred with the same brush. But Jesus, the Apostle Paul is using this idea of citizenship in, in the church for that exactly same thing. As a citizen within the church, we have an identity. We have an identity in Christ. We have a belonging in Christ. We have protection in Christ. And we have a responsibility to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom. You see, a Christian has been brought into citizenship with God's kingdom. We were all aliens, and, and the, the passage before outlines the fact that we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, and that alienates us from God. And yet Jesus came to this world, and Jesus came and, and, and paid the price of the sins of his people. So whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. And as someone is saved, as someone becomes a Christian, then we become a citizen of heaven. And, and that's what a Christian is, and that's what a church is. A church is a body of people who are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, that is our identity. As citizens of heaven, that is our belonging. This isn't our home. We're going to go home to the ultimate home in glory. And our citizenship in heaven is our protection. Now, if I did get in trouble in Cyprus, I would be very, very thankful for any intervention that my government in the UK helped with, the consular or whatnot. I wouldn't expect the Queen to turn up. But the Queen might send some representative and someone to help me in my situation. But as members of the church, as believers, as citizens of heaven, when we're in trouble, when we're in difficulties, when we go through life, God himself is offering us protection. In fact, God himself sent his only son to protect us from our worst enemy, sin and the devil. And Christ paid the price for it. But citizenship isn't really enough to explain the church and that relationship. And so the Apostle Paul went on and, and talked about being family. We are of the household of God. Now in those days, uh, being part of a household was really, really important. And I think you guys from Africa have got a much better idea of a household and how important being in a family is. Uh, still, for, for a lot of you, uh, you've got the family compound, haven't you? 
and the safety being in the family compound. And maybe you will have the grandparents there and some uncles and aunts there and various people. And there's a community and there's a safety and there is an identity with that. Family is belonging, isn't it? You know that when you are with your family, you are safe. You know that when you are with your family, you're being protected. But just in the same way as being part of a family and having protection and belonging and identity, there's also responsibility, isn't there? There was a, there's a, there's a guy that I know who's uh, in, in the prison, and he asked me to, to meet with his brother. And so eventually I had opportunity to, to speak with his brother, and his brother was really upset with him. Uh, and he was really upset because he'd let the family name down. There's a responsibility to your family. You, do you want to let your family name down? And, and, and you, you don't, do you? Do, you? do you want to get your, your degree, your master's, your PhD? Yes, you do, because you know that your family will be proud of you. You know that you'll be able to bring something back to your family. And for many of you, even though you are far away from your family, you're still wanting to support the family. Or perhaps the family is supporting you here. Or perhaps you are helping supporting your family there. So even when there's miles between you, there is a responsibility and a belonging, isn't there? I think in nowadays, right at the moment, the big family that people are talking about and the big family breakdown or the big family challenge is our... Queen of England, not herself, but her grandson, Prince Harry, and, and what's been going on there. And, and what some people would say is they look at Prince Harry and say, well, he's let the family down. He, he doesn't want the responsibility of being a member of the royal family anymore. He wants his own privacy. He wants to do his own thing. And he's wanting to distance himself from the royal family because he wants a life of his own. And that's divided people in England. And a lot of people say, well, that is, that is just wrong. You have a responsibility to your family. Just as your family has a responsibility to you. And, and so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you, you are a citizen. How, how do you get citizenship in Cyprus? Some, some people here I know have been here long enough and they've got citizenship in Cyprus. They've become citizens of North Cyprus. They had to wait 10 years. They had to have uh, 10, at least 10 residence permits or at least 10 work permits. And then after that, you go and you apply and you do this and you do that and the other. And you get a citizenship of Cyprus. But when you are in a family, it's even deeper, isn't it? Because it's more than a citizenship. To be a family, you have to be adopted. And that's the language of the Bible. We are adopted into God's family. So as a church, we often talk ourselves as a family. We talk about being brothers and sisters. And so as brothers and sisters, we should look out for each other. As brothers and sisters, we have a duty to care for each other. As brothers and sisters, we don't want to let each other down. As brothers and sisters, if someone within the family sins, it grieves us all, doesn't it? It causes a problem, and, and that's where it is. And so the Apostle Paul moves on and says, okay, a, a church is a state, we're fellow citizens, we are a family, we're a household of God. And then he goes on to say that we are the holy temple where the Spirit lives. 
a temple. We see that in verses 21 and 22. And again, we have to remember this is picture language because I don't look like a temple. You don't look like a temple. But it's the notion and it's the idea that as a church, as a body of God's people, individually and collectively, we are where the Holy Spirit lives. the, The church is a living body of people. And that living body of people are connected to God. And the Holy Spirit is where that connection is particularly. Our sins separate us from God. And Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection show that the price is being paid so that we can be brought into the family, so that we are adopted. But more than just being adopted, the Holy Spirit is with us. God's presence is with us. And that's why Sunday by Sunday you will hear us praying that the Holy Spirit would visit us and be with us because the Holy Spirit is our link to the Godhead himself. So the church is is a living body of people. Anyone here who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is part of that body. But what we have at Left Kosher Protestant Church, LPC, is we want people to make a commitment to the local church. That's what we talk about members. And so as members, you make a commitment to the the, the church family. And, And what you're saying is you have been adopted. You are fellow citizens. You are together the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a body of people together, we are God's dwelling place. And so we're beginning to step onto something that's really, really important and really, really foundational. Because we see here that we are fellow citizens... We see here that we are of the household of God. We see here that we are the temple where God, the Holy Spirit, lives. And what I'm wanting us to to, to see here is that we are part of the church, but the church is for God. Yeah? You see, it, it tells us clearly that God brings us together. It tells us clearly that God builds us together. It tells us clearly that God makes us grow. It tells us clearly that God makes us holy, sets us apart. We see this in verses 21 and 22, in whom the whole building, and this building is the idea of this church, Not there's an irony there, isn't it? We're not a building, but the very illustration that Paul uses is a building to, to give us an idea of what's been said. So the whole building or the whole church being joined together. God brings us together. It grows into a holy temple, holy set apart in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God brings the church about for himself. The church is for God. The church is God's dwelling place. And it's this dwelling place in the Spirit. And then we go on later in God's Word to see the picture language of the church being the bride of Christ. It's been chosen and brought together to be gifted to Jesus at the end of time. 
And so I'm wanting us now to, to see clearly and have in our minds set out that the church is not the building. The church is the people. And that these people that have been brought together by God, we've been saved by grace, we've been adopted into a family, and we are the temple. But I want us now to, to, to continue on with our second main question for today, and that is a question of whose church is it? Whose church is it? And I, and I, and I believe, sadly, that so much of the trouble there is with churches is because they've not got this right. And so many of the problems we see around the world in churches is because people have got a wrong understanding of whose the churches is. And right now, across the globe and across the world, people think of the church as their church. Yeah? You may have even heard yourself refer to my church. You'll have heard pastors say, this is my church. You, you, you will see and hear of founders and daddy geos who have said, this is my church. I am the founder of this church. You, you may have seen the, the, the great big websites and the great big social media campaigns and, and the great big invites to these mega, mega churches. And, and, and the church has putting forward a man as being the person who this church belongs to. Someone was asking me about the history of this church here. Whose church is it? Is it connected to other churches in the UK? Well, this, this, this is where we're going to get right. Because if we don't get this right, so many of the problems that we have within church life stem from not getting this right. And so I'm going to be laboring this point, this question. And I may labor it to the point that you get fed up, but you won't, because it is just so, so important. And it's so, so important because when we go on from here, we need to really understand whose the church is. So the Apostle Paul in this passage, he uses the illustration of a building. And I said that's an irony already because we said the church is not a building. But he uses the illustration of a building to, to explain the ownership of the church and to explain our relationship to the church. When you know the ownership of something, it then helps you with relationship to it, doesn't it? Yeah? How can we illustrate that? Well... If you own something yourself, it's for you to do what you please with, isn't it? Yeah? So you have a 200 TL note in your pocket. Yeah? And if that 200 lira note is yours, you can buy what you like with it, can't you? You could put it in the bank to save it. You could give it to somebody else. You could buy a goat and eat it with rice. You could do just what you wanted with that 200 lira note. Now, if I took a 200 lira note from me and gave it to you and said, can you pass that to mummy Rachel next time you see her, whose money would that be? Well, 
Well, the good African in the front is saying, mine. Because <laughs> possession is two-ninths of the law. But anyway, that, that, that money would not be yours, would it? If it's been given to you by somebody else to pass on to somebody else, it's not yours. You've got stewardship of it. They might say to you, can you buy something and then give the change to somebody else? Or they might say, you can use it, but in two weeks' time, I need it back. But it's not yours. But you have use of it, maybe, in a situation. And, and so that's why understanding whose the church is, because whose it is has the right to say how it's used. And, and the people who are being blessed by it or have, have opportunity, they, 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 they can use it in the way that is right. And so that's why Paul is, is, is using these five elements. We're going to see them. We're probably going to look at a couple of them today and then go to the rest of them next week. But there's a, there's a chief cornerstone in verse 20. We'll be looking at that. There's a foundation in verse 20. There's bricks in verses 19 and 21. There's the occupant in verse 22. And there's a master builder. So that's the chief cornerstone, verse 20. Foundation, verse 20. Bricks, verses 19 to 21, occupant, verse 22, and, and the master builder. So we're going to look at these in more detail, but we're going to be looking at these in the context of whose church is it? So that the chief cornerstone, that's, that's where we'll be having our thoughts probably for the rest of this morning, and we may get onto the foundation as well, but we'll see how it goes. The, the chief cornerstone. If you're going to build uh, a, a building 2,000 years ago, we, we couldn't phone up Emmanuel and say, can you bring some steel round and, and can you put the shuttering up and we want to put this in place. That, they didn't make buildings with, with steel and concrete like we see made around here. They, they had bricks, they had stone, but the big impressive buildings were made out of big impressive stones. And as we saw with, with the children's talk, getting the foundation right is the most important thing. And the cornerstone was the, the, the most important stone of the building. The, the position of it, the size of it, the strength of it determined exactly what that building would look like. So if you wanted a big, impressive building, you had to have a big cornerstone. And, and getting that cornerstone in the right place was, was paramount. If you put it in the wrong place, your building wouldn't go up correctly. Now, they, they've done some uh, archaeology looking at the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. And, and they, they dug down and they found some of the cornerstones that were used there for the temple. And the temple is a magnificent building, and this is probably what Paul had in his mind at that time. And some of these cornerstones were 12 meters long. And if you can't imagine what 12 meters is, I am two meters. So, so that's effectively six of me. And that's a huge stone. And that stone would take massive energy and resource to be able to move into position. But when that was in position, the rest of the building was secured to it. They would know that the rest of the building would be safe. 
They'd know that the rest of the building could go up because that cornerstone was in place. And and, and this picture, this illustration is simple. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the, the center of the church. Jesus is the owner of the church. It's God's church. And Jesus is the owner of the church. And it is Jesus' church. He is that, the cornerstone. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 23 put it in a, in a different language, different way. It says, Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Christ is the cornerstone because he is the savior of the body. Nobody can become part of the church unless through Christ. And so everybody in the church is relationship to the church is through Christ. And then the cornerstone, the foundation stone, the most important part of the church is Christ. And tragically nowadays, the whole thing that happens is Christ is not the most important part of the church. And for some, the building has become the most important part. And you can see these mega churches and these huge cathedrals. And it happened in history too. These huge cathedrals that were made. And people were looking at the building and going, wow! And people had stopped looking at Jesus. And similarly, it happens with some of these mega pastors that we have. These people that have got all manner of titles. And then they go forward and then they've become the celebrity. They've become the face of the church. And they've pushed Christ out. And the cornerstone is no longer there. And this person has taken over the church. And maybe this person is like a pyramid scheme. He is at the top or she's at the top. And then under people, there's people aspiring to get there. And there's another layer. And then there's another layer. And there's cell groups. And there's deacons. And there's all this conglomerate of people. And Jesus has been pushed out. The cornerstone's been taken away. And we're looking at man as being the most important. And what we have to do is we have to go back to here. Because if we're going to do church right, Christ has to be at the center. Can a man save you? No. But the man Christ Jesus did. Can a building save you? No. But Jesus Christ has. Jesus Christ is the only one who has the right to be this cornerstone. Because Jesus Christ is the only one who can save people from their sins. Before time began, the Trinity worked this out. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to die on the cross so that we could be made right with God, so that we could become part of the church. But we're part of it. And what is at the center of it is Christ. And if Christ is not at the center of your salvation, If Christ is not at the center of your church experience, then you haven't got it right. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are not part of the church. You you can only be part of the church if you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior. 
And because of what Jesus has done, the amazing thing is that we can become part of the church and we can be brought into it. You see, our sin stops us from being right with God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one is right. And yet Jesus came so that he could redeem. He could pay the price of the sins of his people so he could bring them into his family, so we could be adopted, so that we could be fellow citizens, so that we could be joint heirs. We can do nothing about our sin. We can do nothing to make ourselves right. But Christ has done it. And so when this goes wrong, we, we see church or churchianity moving away from Christ. And, and there's churches that are more like social clubs. You have a uniform, you have a hierarchy. You, you go there on a Sunday, people's cars are parked in a particular order of how long they've been there. The, the seats are laid out. And it's just a social club. It's like being part of the Lions or the Rotary or, or even a member of a football club. It is not built on Christ. It's built on man-centered things. And almost worse still, some churches have become places of entertainment. It's not about Christ. It's about the, the quality of the music. It's about the wonder of the, the spectacle that's been put on before you. And you go there, and yes, you do cry. And yes, you are moved emotionally. And some of you will dance and wave, and maybe you'll get laid out in the spirit. Or the so-called spirit. And it's become a franchise. Because a few hundred meters down the road, there's another one with the same label, and they're doing the same thing, and there's the same man trying to do the same thing. And he has his handkerchief that he's wailing around. He brings his bottle of oil out and he sprinkles it around. And Christ has been pushed out. And friends, we have to go back to having Christ at the center. And the most important thing here at LPC for us is to have Christ at the center. Because the minute anything else gets in the way of that, it pushes Christ out. For some people, church is a habit. It's what they do on Sundays. I'm a good African. I go to church on Sundays. I snap my selfie on the steps. I send it back to my parents and everyone's happy because I've done the thing. But you've lost Christ. Or it's a religion. I mean, you've seen it. and You guys have told me about this. Someone asked me, why do I preach barefoot? It's not anything superstitious or holy. It's just I'm more comfortable that way. But when they asked the question, it seemed as though there's a, a tradition of church back in some parts of Africa where you all wear white robes and don't have any shoes on. Now, where did that come from? It, it came because Christ has been pushed out. A man has been pushed forward. A man's ideas are taking over from what Christ has said. And sometimes there's sets of rules that make you wear all white or stop you doing this or make you doing that. And yes, we should be following God's word, but it should be our heart and our conscience that drive us to Christ and Christ, and not something else. You see, if Christ is not at the center of the church, no matter how lively it may seem, no matter how dramatic the spectacle is at the front, it is dead. A church without Christ is dead. A church without Christ as the cornerstone is not a church. And frankly, tragically, sadly, around the world now, there are many people gathering in a place that they call a church, and it's not 
Because the head of the church has been pushed out. And the spectacle and the man and the money and the prosperity and and the supernatural have been put in the place of it. When our eldest son was young, someone gave him a a model of a crocodile. You're all all familiar with a crocodile? Big nasty animal with sharp teeth. Eats you. Nice present for a little boy. (laughs) But it was a crocodile that you made out of wood. It was really very clever craft. And you had to put all the bits together and, and you made this crocodile. Now there was one central piece of this crocodile that was the centerpiece. And if you got that piece right, everything else would, would look right. So the legs would be in the right place. The tail would be in the right place. But if you didn't have that centerpiece in, you'd have some sort of strange-looking crocodile that makes no sense. And that's what's happened to the church. We have strange-looking churches that make no sense because the center of it's been ripped out and something else has been put in and Christ is not there. And if we want to do church properly, the only way is with Christ at the center. And then this has a huge implication because, sadly, around the world, people identify the church with the Daddy Geo. Or they identify the church with the founders Or maybe you have the temptation, or maybe I have the temptation here of thinking that this church is the elders' church. Pastor Andrew and Pastor James and Pastor Phil, it is our church. And in some churches, it's not the person, it's everybody. We are the church, we are the members, it is our church. The church is not the daddy geos. It's not the founders. It's not the elders. It's not the members. It's not the governors. The church, the founder of the church, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the picture language that the Apostle Paul uses is that cornerstone. The cornerstone is what we must have there. And when Jesus' position is pushed out of the church, the church has lost its authority. Why is there so much weak preaching out there? Because Christ has been pushed out. Why are there so many weak Christians out there? Because Christ has been pushed out. Friends, as we go forward in this series, we must be pleading with God that whatever we do, Christ is at the center. Christ is the foundation that we build on. And if your elders here propose that we do something as a church, you know what you have to do? You have to go back and say, is Christ at the center of this? And if Christ isn't, you have to rebel. You do. It's your responsibility. And if you go to a church in the future, and, 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 the, and the elders and the deacons and the pastors, whoever, tell you that they are proposing that they do something and it's pushing Christ out, you have to stand up and be counted. Maybe you have to move to a different church. Maybe you'll be able to, with God's help, point the church to that error of where they're going. We need to have Christ at the center. We must pray that we are kept from it.
is Christ the center of your life? Because just as it is in a church, Christ should be our centerpiece. So it should be in your own life. Because if Christ has been pushed out of your own life, just as the children's illustration showed, the foundation will be wrong. Next week, we're going to start opening up on the foundation. I'm sorry we didn't get in as far as I thought we would, but I hope you're all going home remembering whose this church is. It is Jesus' church, Christ's church. Amen. Let's pray.